they realize that they're under construction, as we all are. And um, my wife said, you haven't told your stupid jokes or anything, have you? I said, no, but I said, they actually get me more than I thought they would. Joe, you thought we were nearly dead. No, that's not true. Not true at all. But uh, seriously, thank you so much. It's been an honor. That, a lot of fun. To tell you the truth, there's a little check in that uh, that card Does as that? Our, uh, our appreciation. And uh, um, I'm embarrassed because it, it should be twice as much. Uh, you have just done a fantastic job for us. So thank you all, and especially thank you, Joe. And we'll wrap it up here. Thank all you. Right. We got a, a closing song. Was our, our wonderful song leader? Right. Oh, wow. I'm wonderful, but I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going to do a, close, a closer look with these, the last one in the book. <laughs> my wife says I must wave my hands. Both of them. <laughs> I am weak, but
Good job, guys. Good job, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have the better one. <laughs> well, before I, um, I moved to this area a little over a year ago, we spent six years in the city of Canton. I served as a, a senior pastor of a, just a wonderful growing church in that area. That's Cherokee County. Cherokee County last year was named the fastest growing county in Georgia, and that honestly made it kind of an exciting time to, to be the pastor there. But many years ago, Canton was a, a really a rural, sleepy kind of southern town. One of the things our church was known for, believe it or not, in the 1930s, one of our Sunday school teachers, the lay leader of the church, the choir director of the church, he was the biggest bootlegger in the state of Georgia. True <laughs> story. And uh, so I like to preach and, and use examples, modern day parables, as you know. And so I preached about him one Sunday and actually had a real life moonshine still up on the stage with me because a lot of people remember him. And it was just a really interesting thing that he had this, this, this great life in the life of the church and a family man. Over here, he was arrested by the DEA and, and sent to Atlanta prison for about 20 years, and he ended up dying there. But uh, there were two-lane roads in Canton that were being widened. Other roads were being repaved. New turn lanes were going in all over the place. After all, when the, the town or the city or the community is growing so rapidly, uh, you have to fix the infrastructure. Even I-575, which is kind of the interstate going through there, it was always in some sort of... Uh, construction stage. We we lived about a mile from a, a local Publix, but even driving driving that one mile was a hassle because there was always road work going on. That meant massive delays. That meant meandering detours. That meant bad traffic. It's not a quick fix when something is under construction. It requires literally months, maybe more, of planning. It's a massive investment of time and resources. And honestly, it requires a whole lot of patience, a, a lot of waiting. But eventually, you know, the, the road work was done. The, the newly paved roads were amazing. The newly widened streets meant that traffic would flow a lot more efficiently. And truly, we enjoyed the benefits once that infrastructure was brought up to par, once all of those roads were fixed. But... At the time, it was so incredibly painful. We had to display a lot of patience. We had to wait an awful long time before things were done the way that they needed to be. And so for the last several days, we've talked about the fact that each of us is a work in progress, that transformation is indeed a process, usually not a single event. It's usually God unveiling or revealing over time the growth that he wants us to experience. And like we said early on, that in the Christian journey, we never reach a point where we finally are there, we finally achieve. Yeah, our eternity is secure. Yeah, God's love and mercy and grace, that's secure. We have that assurance, we have that promise, but, but we're constantly in this perpetual state of continued growth. And so I pray that each of us can take away that from our time together. That's why, again, I love the name CUC, Christians Under Construction, because at least the name, you guys are recognizing the fact that God is continually doing works in you, with you, and through you. And like wading into that construction with traffic, sometimes it isn't easy. We have to, to live lives of waiting, lives of patience. But after God does that unveiling, that revealing, that transformation, that work, 
things are so much better. So I pray that as we leave here this morning, we can look at the ways in which God is calling us to keep growing closer to him. Now, um, I don't like, there's the, that's our, the view actually from our house, um, because we constantly had to wait in line for stuff. Now, I don't know if anybody likes lobster. Anybody a lobster fan? Yeah, I'm not a big seafood guy, so truly I've, I don't like lobster. I've never had it, though. The market rate for lobster right now is about $11 a pound, but people are willing to pay top dollar for it. That's kind of a thing that people are willing to spend money on, but that hasn't always been the case. Just a hundred years ago, in fact, lobster was so prevalent, was so present that seen really as a, a nasty food. It was saved for prisoners and indentured sermons. In fact, in uh, servants rather, in New England, about seventy years ago, a prison riot occurred in a Massachusetts prison because the prisoners were being fed lobster three days a week, and they thought that that was cruel and unusual punishment. True story. Um, lobster was even used as fertilizer, because nobody wanted to eat the stuff. Lobster, it was unfamiliar. It was vaguely disgusting. It looked like this bottom-feeding ocean dweller. It sort of re, you know, kind of resembles an insect, which actually is one of its closest... Uh, relatives. It was considered embarrassing for children to go to school taking lobster with them. Kids would make fun of them. Lobster was so plentiful, it was so abundant, it was so incredibly cheap to prepare, nobody wanted it. So how did we go from that to where we are now where lobster is such a luxury? Well, you can say one thing, the railroad. You see, nobody really knew what lobster was unless you kind of lived on the shore of New England. And so nobody really knew what it was, especially those people who lived in the South and lived inward. And uh, so the railroads, they could buy it so incredibly cheaply, and they would feed it, and they, they would say, hey, this is a luxury item, even though it wasn't. They were getting it incredibly cheaply. But the passengers didn't know any better, so they were fed this stuff, and they were said, this is a luxury, this is rare, this is fine dining. And eventually people started to believe that. People said, wow, the, the lobster honestly is pretty good. Pass passengers didn't know that lobster literally was considered trash by people in New England. So eventually they said, we've got to ask for this when we get back home. So they did. And slowly over time, the demand went up. Therefore, the supply went down. And so the price did what? The price goes up. Even now, at times, selling for nearly $11 a pound, uh, in many cases, it's sold to restaurants because right now there's a glut of lobster. It's, it's kind of an overabundance. It's sold for maybe as little as a dollar and a half to the restaurants. But they never want to let the price go down because they don't want people to think of it as something less valuable than the price would indicate. Also, if they lower the price this year, they don't do it next year, people will complain. And so they keep the price artificially high so it's seen as a luxury. Lobster, incredibly ordinary but others thought it was extraordinary. And that's one of the themes that we talked about this weekend. And that's something I hope that we can all take with us, that, that God is crazy about you. He's crazy about your spouse or, or your children, your, your grandchildren, your, your neighbors. And God desires so, so much for you and from you. God has plans that are far greater than we ever could imagine. Despite our past, despite where we've been, 
God claims us as his own. The scripture talks about that over and over and over again, that we, in fact, are heirs to our Heavenly Father. Despite where we've been, God redeems us regardless of what we've done. Scripture says that God delights in you. Because of Jesus, God is pleased with you. You are made not only forgiven, you are made righteous in the eyes of God. That's powerful stuff. Now, during our time of Holy Communion, God... He opens our eyes to the ways in which he loves us, the ways in which he forgives us, the ways in which he claims us as his own. So this morning, ever so quickly, I want to look a little bit into some Jewish theology. Bear with me through this, okay? Because I think through this Jewish theology that, that we're going to come into contact with some powerful Christ-like theology. Okay, let me, let me first, a little, little sidebar, okay? Let me tell you about Thomas. Thomas uh, lived in New England. He was... Uh, devout Christian. He was known for his intelligence. He went to seminary and he became a Methodist preacher. This was in the late 1800s. Thomas, though, had some health problems that forced him to leave the ministry. He was still so incredibly active in his church, very devout in his faith. But he went to medical school and he became a dentist. Like I said, he was so incredibly active in his church, he served as the communion steward at his church, and this role actually caused him a great deal of anxiety and consternation. You see, Thomas, like a lot of people in that day and age, he despised alcohol. He saw alcoholism as something that destroyed so many families, and so he was opposed to using wine during Holy Communion. He had a, a brilliant scientific mind. He devised a way to keep grapes from fermenting. He advertised this new concoction to all of the area churches. This is an, an alternative to wine for Holy Communion. His name? Thomas Welch, as in Welch's grape <laughs> juice. True story. It all started by this Methodist pastor turned dentist who didn't want wine served with Holy Communion. Communion is one of the sacraments of our Christian faith. It is, and in fact, something that is considered. So next time you're at the store and you see Welch's grape juice, say, that guy was a Methodist. That guy was a devout Christian. He was a communion steward. He, he came up with this stuff as a way to honor God during Holy Communion. So we're going to go to Luke 22, 19, and 20. When Jesus had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after he had eaten, and he said, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus and his disciples, they were taking part in the Passover meal. Has anybody ever had a Passover meal? Yeah, at my former church, we had a, a Messianic Christian, somebody from a Jewish faith, born Jewish, but came to know Christ, became a Christian, and, and as somebody from a Jewish background, not only was Christ somebody who died for our sins, someone who redeemed us, Jesus was someone who was the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. Not the Jewish people see that or sense that, but, but this guy did. He led us through a lengthy Passover Seder, and it was really powerful. And so during Holy Communion, this is somewhat of a celebration, somewhat of a commemoration that has taken place literally for thousands of years. The, the, the baptism, or excuse me, the, the, the communion, <laughs> but then also going back before that, the Passover meal. And so in the Passover meal, we were able to see a lot of ways in which Christ was being revealed or made known through that Passover meal. And even in the midst of that, we, we could see it, but 
but, but for years and years and decade and decade and, and even millennia after millennia, many of the Jewish priests can't see that. Okay, so I want to throw a bunch of stuff at you. We're going to move fast, okay? The Passover meal was a way for people, the Jewish people, to remember how God had rescued the Israelites. During the Passover Seder, the, this meal, there is so much rich symbolism that reminds the Jewish people of their bondage slavery and of the miraculous redemption of God. The celebration of Passover, like I said, revolves around the Passover Seder. It's a highly symbolic meal of the Jewish exodus out of Egypt. Now, three symbolic foods are eaten during the Passover Seder. Lamb, okay, that represents the innocent lamb that was sacrificed on the night of Passover. Bitter herbs, which remind the people of the suffering in Egypt. And then unleavened bread. Unleavened bread was really kind of uh, symbolic for a lot of different reasons. Anybody want to guess why? It was, that's exactly right. The Old Testament tells us that the Jewish people left Egypt in such haste that they didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise. The unleavened bread also represents redemption. It represents freedom. As the Jews experienced redemption and freedom from slavery, the unleavened bread also represents humility. <coughs> reminding the Israelites not to forget what they endured and encountered in slavery. So, I'm going to introduce you to a word. It's a Greek word, sort of. I'll tell you more about that in a second. But the word is afikomen. Anybody ever heard that word before? Okay, turn to your neighbor and say afikomen. 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 Now, just... Um, See, you guys are speaking Greek now. How cool is that? Just bear with me. We're going to go really, really fast through this. The Afikomen is a fairly well-beloved portion of the Passover Seder. I bring this up because I think maybe we can Jesus in the midst of that. Afikomen, like I said, it's kind of a, a Hebrew word, kind of a Greek word. It's spelled in Hebrew, but it's actually a Greek word. Now, Jewish scholars, they, they can't tell you why this Greek word has somehow made its way into Jewish Passover liturgy. Nobody knows why, but afikomen, it literally means that which will come later. And remember that, afikomen, that which will come later. Now, it's interesting to note that the afikomen portion of the Passover Seder, it takes place later in the meal. There's a, a time known as the tasfun, which ironically means that which is hidden. We've talked about a lot this, this last couple of days, that which is hidden. God reveals, God unveils. So, late in the Passover meal, the Jewish people have been taking part in, in the three courses of this meal. And then they get to the portion known as the afikomen, the host of the Passover meal usually the father of the family, he'll take three pieces of unleavened bread, okay? Early in the Seder, he lifts up the three pieces of this matzah, or this unleavened bread. He, he tears it, the three pieces. Remember that. He takes the middle piece. He wraps it in linen, and he takes it, and he hides it somewhere in the house. Later in the meal, he lets loose the children. They go looking for the afikomen. They bring it back to the father, and then they exchange it for some sort of gift. Very similar, maybe, the, to the ways in which our kids, they look for Easter eggs. But in the afikomen, the father tears it into three pieces, takes the centerpiece, wraps it in linen, 
hides it somewhere, it comes back and people are given a gift. Okay, remember that. At the end of the meal, what happens to the afikomen? Is it still hidden? No, remember it's brought back. It's brought back to the father. The broken matzah brought back. Now think about that for a second. People have used this to point to Jesus over and over and over again, and yet the Jewish leaders don't see that. They can't see the symbolism. Anybody see the symbolism in that? Think about it. It's torn. What do we say during Holy Communion? This body is broken for you. Three pieces. What's significant about that? The Trinity. Which piece is taken away during the Afikomen? What's the middle of the Trinity? Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Okay. So the, the, the middle piece, what, what happens to it? It comes back. Before that, though, it's wrapped in linen. It's hidden away. We'll find it. They bring it back. People are given interesting. And yet, the Jewish people just don't, don't see that symbolism. I'm not picking on them at all, because the truth is, how many times do I miss out on seeing Jesus because my mind is elsewhere? Another interesting point today, when the Passover meal is enjoyed or celebrated all around the world, they don't serve lamb any longer. Why not? Nobody really knows. Nobody gives us an answer. It just was stopped years ago, and they started using unleavened bread to represent the lamb. Think about that. What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus? He declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So now instead of using a sacrificed lamb, the Jewish people use unleavened bread to represent that middle portion of the Afikoman. That's interesting because what do we use when we celebrate Holy Communion? The unleavened bread. So the Israelites were redeemed. They were freed from slavery and bondage by an unblemished lamb. But now they no longer use that lamb. Men and women can free from the slavery and the bondage of sin or of shame or of no direction or of the need for healing, certainly the need for salvation. And who brings that about? It's Jesus. So every year during the Passover Seder, I kind of think, man, how do people not see Jesus in the midst of this? Because this passage or the Afikoman portion of the Passover meal has opened so many eyes to see the rich symbolism of the Messiah in the midst of that. How do you not see Jesus in the midst of that? This Afikoman broken, the body broken, the middle piece, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Son taken away, wrapped in linen, brought back, returned. People get a gift. Can you not see Jesus in the midst of that Passover meal? That's incredible. Jesus wasn't just a historical figure. He wasn't just an amazing teacher and preacher. He was who he said he was. The Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. How many times do we miss? How many times have I missed that? Because I'm focused on other things, or, or maybe my eyes haven't been open to what it is that God wants me to experience. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If it's true, it is of infinite, infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. Mm -hmm. See, when the background of the Afikoman is understood, the impact is just simply enormous. So the Messiah who came, who was broken, buried, brought back, the finder received. This morning, friends, we take part in Holy Communion. Communion allows us to, to look back, to 
remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made. During Holy Communion, not only do we look back, we celebrate the presence that the Holy Spirit is given to us, and we celebrate that here and now. So we look back, we remember the present, and we look ahead to the future, anticipating that eternal banquet that we'll have in heaven in the midst of God. Look back to the future, and we look ahead. By sharing this meal, we give thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus for you, and for me, and we are spiritually nourished and empowered to go into the world with our mission and our ministry. So during Holy Communion, we come to church, or we come rather to the table as the church, as one body. The word communion and community both come from the same Greek word. We realize our need for repentance. We need to forgiveness for our sin. We realize that our only hope it doesn't come from us, it doesn't come from our abilities, doesn't come from our accomplishments, doesn't come from anything we ever, ever can. It comes simply from God through the grace given, the sacrifice of Christ. Despite any problems or issues or anxieties or pressures that we face, God is indeed bigger than those bigger and stronger and more powerful, more mighty than those obstacles that get in our way. So, friends, this morning as we Come to the table, let us never forget the restoration and the freedom that God offers. And let us be ever so mindful of the fact that Christ is the reason for all that. Remember the Ephi, that part of the Jewish Passover Seder, that points so blatantly to Jesus, and yet people's eyes haven't yet been opened to I pray that our eyes have been opened to a lot of things during our time together over the last couple of days, that we can see our eyes open to the unveiling, the revealing, the growth, instruction, the transformation that God has done, God is doing, and God will be. Will you pray with me? Well, good morning, Heavenly Father. We thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for your kindness towards us. Lord God, as we take part in the sacrament of Holy Communion, may we ever be mindful of the fact that we are in communion with you and in community with one another. As we eat the unleavened bread, may we remember the ways in which you have restored us. You have brought us out of places of sin and bondage and shame, reconciling ourselves to you. Lord God, may we see Jesus, may we see Christ in the sacrament, knowing that we have been set free by a God who loves us so, so much. Lord, allow us to hear the words of the gospel, to know what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. That, Lord, we can never earn your favor, but yet it's given to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That, Lord, we have strayed, we have gone in different directions away from you. There are times we haven't placed you first in all that we do and all that we are. There are times, Lord, in which we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have fallen, we have sinned, we have wandered. But in the midst of that, Lord, we can't save ourselves. We need a Savior because of your immense and amazing love for us. You said, Father God, I pray that we can surrender to acknowledging the work of Christ on the cross and accepting the grace of your friend. Lord God, I pray then for your power to uh, help us live a life of faithfulness and obedience, not by our own strength, but by your power in us. Or during this time of Holy Communion, may you reveal more and more of yourself, to allowing us to leave here with a deeper desire to know 
Thank you, God, your love for us. Thank you, Lord, and every person here today. It's no, mis- it's no coincidence that all of us are here at this place. Lord, you are doing mighty things in our life. You are doing mighty things with our life. And you are doing mighty things. Never free the enemy from stealing that. Thank you for your love, Jesus. Well, the communion liturgy is on, I think, the last page of your booklet. Is that right? Yes. yes. And then it continues on the back. I start off with a, a little bit of kind of ad-libbing, and then we'll take part in that communion service together. And as we do that, I'm actually going to have you guys turn around, and we're going to face that way during our time of Holy Communion. So you guys can go ahead and turn this way as we prepare our hearts and our minds for the sacrament of Holy Communion. Wrap up with an entire reflection prayer. On the back table over there, we still have a, oh, the olive wood crosses. I've got tons of those little. My wife said, Don't bring any of that stuff home. So it's going to stay here. Real quick, I know I've thrown so much stuff at you. Kind of an eclectic teacher at times, learning about lobster and 100 year old teachers, sozo, and all sorts of others. What's one way we leave here this morning and God has blessed? Anybody want to share just some sort of closing thought of how you felt blessed or challenged during our time together? Yes, sir. Well, the education that you have provided for so many things that uh, I'm going to feel about, we amplify so much and explain so much that uh, it's a wonderful teacher. Or too much because it's uh, in three days, want to pass along so many things that I hope that that, that will bless and, and will teach and, and more importantly, will will honor God. Yes, sir. Yes, I feel blessed by having you. It's been truly a bigger blessing for me than it ever could for you. One of the things I really remember and really blessed me was the first night when we watched the it was the Andy Griffith. Every single table to some degree said the pastor was kind of irrelevant and we didn't quite get it and he should have done a better job of uh, No, and seriously, that is so cool though because the fact that maybe, because I didn't think about that, the fact that you recognize that was really great. The, the fact that um, our church, you know, has something like Capitol Oswald to, to try to reach people who honestly don't have any church background at all. You guys are the ones that... that Basically, are part of the church that, that thought of that, uh, that funded it, that prayed for it, that supported it, honored it, and God, because of your faithfulness, because of your obedience, because of your prayers, and because of your presence, God it, it is bringing up more and more people into the faith. And I thank you. I'm really honored to be here with you because you're people who met. So, so thank you. Anyone else? A word that maybe you now know? Yes, sir, George. I think the main thing, or one of the main things, is the inspiration received from this communion service. Usually communion service is rushed. I don't pay much attention to what's going on. But here, I understand more of the symbolism of what communion is. And from this point on, I will appreciate it a lot more. Yeah, and part of that is because I'm teaching to people, or teaching people, speaking to people, who have no church background. And so every time we serve Holy Communion, or every time we do a baptism, I approach it as if the person out in the congregation has never heard of this, knows absolutely <coughs> nothing about it. And so I want to teach and challenge and inspire so people can remember some element of Holy Communion or of Holy Baptism. And so sometimes it's too rudimentary, and I don't want to preach down to people, but, but there's so much that, that God still opens my eyes to during every partaking of Holy Communion. What does that become? Anybody remember? That which comes later. 
and so what was the Messiah one that they prayed for? What God had promised him on who had come one year? Yeah, I saw some hands. Yes, sir. Well, and that's cool because that, that goes along with the very premise of why we're here, that, that we are under construction. God is continually teaching us. Um, my family went to the Humane Society a few weeks ago. My kids wanted a dog. I just wanted to look at dogs and pray about it. <laughs> but our kids, they found a, a dog, a five-and-a-half-year-old dog that had been beaten and abandoned. Truth be known, the ugliest dog I have ever seen in my life. And yet the kids said, Dad, we want this dog. My wife is not a dog lover. She looked at it and said, oh, we got to get this dog. We've had her two weeks. She is an amazing dog. Um, but I looked at the fact that she's almost six years old, and I asked the person at the Humane Society, who probably wasn't being honest because you wanted someone to take this ugly dog, but I said, is it possible to teach an old dog new tricks? And she said, not only is it possible, but generally the older dogs are going to be receiving it much more on a mature level than the puppies. She'll realize... Sunday, um, because to me it was one of the most fascinating things to see you know, 
why is now the United States not only the, the, the nation that sends out the most missionaries, the United States is now the second nation that receives the most missionaries. So countries are sending their missionaries to the United States because we are becoming a post-Christian culture in so many ways. If you look at the, the fastest growing countries in the world, in the year, and this will be my last thought, and we'll go, I promise. By the year 2030, of the top 10 nations in the world, eight of those 10 are developing third world nations. The United States will be the third largest. What's going to be the largest by 2030? The largest nation, the most populated nation. No, China would be. China falls to number two. India goes up to number one. Why is that? A high birth rate in India, a low birth rate in China, and the fact you don't have one child, so they're not growing nearly as fast. They slip from number one to number two. The rest of the nations are um, like the, the, the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, Nigeria. Brazil is in there, and it's the only kind of maybe second world nation. The U.S. the first world nation. But the other eight are all third world nations. Sri Lanka, uh, Malaysia, um, all sorts of stuff. But we can do that another Iran is, is not one of the ten largest countries, but the, the Christian church is booming in Iran, despite all the persecution. That's the nation with the fastest growth of Christianity. And Christianity is still the fastest growing religion in the world. Some folks will say, what about Islam? Well, Islam is growing too, but that's simply because of the birth rate. Christianity is growing not only because of the birth rate, uh, but more importantly because of evangelism, because of God opening the eyes, opening the eyes of people around the world. So, Either way, let me wrap up with a time of prayer. I appreciate you guys allowing me to, uh, to share some of your time with you. I love you guys. Look forward to seeing you around RUMC, and I would love to come to your class sometime and share. Really have been blessed by it. Thank you. Let's go to God in prayer. Well, most gracious Heavenly Father, I so much thank you for each person here. We ask for traveling mercy. Head back. Lord God, it's been brought up over the course of the last few days that there are a lot of loved ones, a lot of friends from the CUC class who are going through difficult times with health issues. And Jesus, you are the great physician. We ask for your peace and your comfort and your sozo, your healing, to rest upon those people who are struggling or suffering. May they sense, even right now, just supernatural, God, that they are being lifted up, that they are not forgotten, <coughs> Contrary, they are so loved that they are brought up in. And just like the Apostle Paul said to the Philippi, he said that he thanks God every time he remembers them. I pray that people who are not here this week will know that we have joy as we lift them up. That we thank you, Lord, for their presence in our lives. And Lord, it may lives around us by our presence. We thank you for the work that you are continually doing in our lives, continually molding us and transforming us into the likeness of Christ. Through time, we'll be able to see more and more radiating through our lives. May those around us, may they see that and therefore be drawn to you. Love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us. We pray all of these things with holy Amen. Amen. Good stuff, guys. Have safe travels back home. Thank you for this time being with you.